Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. This is your host, Jerry Wan. And on this Friday, at the end of May, as we wrap up Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, I want to thank you for listening to Dear Asian Americans. I want to thank you for sharing our Asian American stories, for all the webinars that you've attended, for all the conversations you've had, and for all the celebrating that we've done to uplift and to elevate those members of our community that we are so proud of. And for all of our young folks listening, continue to live your life, continue to live your dreams, and make us all proud. I do want to take a moment uh, as we reflect on all the crazy things that have been happening in our country in the past week to encourage people to stand up for what is right, stand up against police brutality, against racism, and against politicians who incite violence and cause fear in all of us. We are stronger together, and the Asian American community needs to stand together with our African American brothers and sisters, those in the LGBTQ community, and every other group, because together we are stronger, and and fighting for racism or doing anti-racism activism work when it only pertains to us isn't actually doing anti-racism work. So I know so many of you out there are doing what you can, sharing news on Facebook, making phone calls, writing letters, doing what you can, not only to make sure that justice is brought for those murderers of George Floyd, but to make sure that this never happens again. So if you're out there, I applaud you. Continue to do what you're doing. It's a tireless and exhausting fight. And thank you for all that you're doing to make sure that we don't have too many weeks like this going forward and that we can celebrate what really makes America beautiful, that we can all look a little bit different, that we can all come from a different place. We come here and we can exist here peacefully, safely, happily, knowing that we can do the things that we do in our daily lives and not fear for our lives. The conversation today is with Tyler Hampong, who's a filmmaker and also one of the the coordinators of the uh, Asian American Film Lab, who is hosting a film competition virtually for the first time next weekend. Um, And I think it's a pretty appropriate topic to have as we wrap up Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Um, So much of what we know about other people and what other people know about us potentially comes initially from what we see about them and how they're portrayed in movies, in TV shows. And so what Tyler and his team are doing at the Asian American Film Lab and so many other people in the entertainment community trying to make sure that we are visible both in front and behind cameras is to make sure that there is positive and correct representation of who we are all around the entertainment industry. So I'm excited to share my conversation with you. Please do take a moment to check out and to share the news about the film festival and the film uh, shootout event, rather, uh, with your friends as you're listening to this. And here now is my conversation with Tyler. Welcome, everybody, to Dear Asian Americans. I am your host, Jerry Wan. And here in the month of May, as we continue to celebrate Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, we hope that you're staying safe and healthy and happy. It's a challenging time for very many of us um, as we learn about extended stay-at-home orders or our businesses and our livelihoods getting impacted. We hope that looking back on this time many, many years from now, that we have all collectively done the right thing and uh, done what was necessary for all of our collective health. Um, One of the industries that I've gotten obviously mostly impacted is in the world of entertainment. Um, Entertainment obviously comes in a lot of different forms, but when we talk about movie creation and for us to enjoy these things together while now in 2020 um, sitting in front of a computer or a screen and streaming something might be uh, more comfortable, um, it takes a lot of work behind the scenes for people to get together in large studios or on sets to create these things. And um, if, if you're as old as I am and you grew the only way you could see movies was at the screen or you know at the movie theater like that was a collective activity and so we've heard a lot about that so uh, my guest today is in that world he's an actor he's a producer um, he has worked in the world of uh, film creation and particularly and more recently in the world of elevating the work of asian filmmakers globally so that we can enhance our work and elevate the amazing work that already is being done so much put, uh, so excited, brings me much pleasure to welcome Tyler Hampong to the show. Hi, Tyler. 
Hey, Jerry, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it very much. And, and you've got the right. And for those of you watching the video, he's got the studio lights behind him. He's <laughs> almost as if. Uh, yeah, you know, I got my got always, my, uh, my paper roll, got everything. Oh, I thought this that was a wall. No, awesome. no, I could I could <laughs> I can move this over. It, it, no, no, it, no, it's no. movable. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about a lot of fun things today. We're going to talk about your journey uh, from Canada to New York, eventually to L.A., um, where for the better part of the last decade, you've been working on your craft here. Um, you know, we talked about this slightly off air or just slightly before we started. Um, you're the second actor that we've had on the show and coincidentally, also the second Canadian-American we've had or the Asian-Canadian, particularly Chinese-Canadian um, person who also happens to be an actor. So I think that's cool. I think it also speaks to sort of the different cultures and the things that you saw growing up and the things that you were allowed to dream of. Um, when we talk about the most famous or the most notable of Asian Canadian actors, we think about Sandra Oh, and what she talks about of, I was never really felt ever left out because that wasn't the world we grew up. And so I do think there's some awesome things about Canadian culture in particular that, um, no coincidence that more of uh, people who pursue the arts, particularly acting and, and film stuff, come from the north side of the border. Um, Tyler, tell us about your growing up. Uh, you're from Canada, from Ottawa. Um, how did the uh, your, your family find their way to Canada? And tell us a little bit about the earlier years of Tyler's life. Sure. Uh, well, my mom is uh, born and raised Canadian. She um, Her family uh, was out on a farm in Ontario, not too far from Ottawa, but then my father, he, uh, he was born in Trinidad and Tobago after his parents left China before and after World War II. Um, my grandfather left China before World War II started. The war started, which kind of uh, prevented my grandmother from, from leaving. And uh, they were actually separated for eight years before they wow. could reunite in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, that's where my dad was born and all his brothers and sisters. And then my dad and my mom met in Barbados, of all places, because he was studying there. My mom was uh, working for the Canadian government down in Barbados. So um, that's where they met. And then they eventually settled back up in Canada, where, uh, where I was born and where my two sisters were born. So they are all over the place. My dad um, is an interesting example because he is... Uh, an Asian person with a Caribbean accent. <laughs> so you don't you don't see very many of those very often. But there is a, a small population of, uh, of Asian people in uh, in Trinidad and Tobago, where my dad is uh, is from. That's got to be a, a f one of the most unique and awesome different cultural additions to helping you see yourself right because not unlike america and canada perhaps people may not realize that uh, immigrants or people who move to countries like trinidad and tobago or brazil there's not as much of an open diverse culture it's you have to assimilate to the ways of that person there is no korea town where you can never speak a lick of english and still get by like there's a lot of the home culture that you just have to understand and become a part of. There's a lot of Korean and Chinese folks from South American countries that are fluent and better Spanish and uh, Portuguese speakers because they just had to learn it. Um, mm -hmm. That's fascinating. What were, I mean, what was food at home like? Was it all three? Yeah, I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of the Caribbean uh, influence in in my food. I remember eating uh, Jamaican patties all the time. That was my that was my breakfast go-to was Jamaican patties and, and me and my sisters love them so much. So there was a lot of that influence, uh, uh, from my dad's side for sure. <laughs> That's cool. And when, Tyler, when did you fall in love with acting? Probably early on. I've always had uh, a love for, for art. I used to draw a lot as a kid. And, um, I think that's kind of what opened me up to, to finding a way to finding an outlet to express myself. And um, it was maybe in, it was in high school that I started doing high school theater mm. and uh, we started writing our own plays. And that was a big part of our curriculum where we would, um, we would write our own material and produce that as a play. 
and uh, I was also doing extracurricular theater. So I was fully, I was fully into it when I was in high school and it just kind of set me up to want to pursue it um, afterwards. So I then studied theater in Toronto for a year and then moved down to New York where I studied acting at the Lee Strasberg mm. Institute. How was that like? I guess tell us a little bit more about where you grew up in Ottawa. Obviously, we know New York City to be the most diverse, the most accepting, the most find any sort of food you want from any part of the <laughs> planet world. Where, where, what was that like from where you were coming from uh, in Ottawa and then your short stay in Toronto? And then how was that transition like coming to New York City? Ottawa, um, Ottawa is is very much um, um, I don't want to call it a melting pot because that kind of makes it feel like you're 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 losing your identity in this giant pot. It's yeah. uh it is it is mixed and there is a lot of um, appreciation of culture uh, in Canada. Just as Ottawa specifically because it's the capital city and it it, it all the um, embassies are there, so there mm. is a lot of uh, a lot of um, diversity and a lot of celebration of that diversity. Awesome. Yeah. So growing up around there was, was, uh, was great to, to, to introduce me to the world. And in New York city from its place in history and culture as the epicenter of acting, obviously LA is Hollywood. However, if we go back to theater acting, if we go to street actors and sort of the history of, uh, the, the story theaters of Broadway, obviously, but a little bit further south on the island in West Village and where some of that stuff has really, really thrived. Tell us about the, the years that you spent there. What was that like? Uh, well, in total, I spent four years in mm. New York and it was it was eye opening. Um, I loved it there. And uh, uh, especially moving there when I was 19 years old, it was a very new experience. I was kind of green in the world. And I learned a lot uh, just throwing myself in the busiest city, uh, doing the most hectic job. So I did learn a lot uh, in New York. And New York just has such a faster pace. So um, if you compare the industries uh, in New York versus LA, you know, I could in New York, I could get on the subway and knock out three to five auditions in one day whereas in LA uh <laughs> you know you get in a car and it you have to you have to like give yourself an hour or two to get from one place to the next so all, already you're you're uh there are less there there's less opportunities that you can get sure. yourself out to but um yeah just being in that fast pace it really matched kind of the energy that I work most effectively at. So I, I loved it there. And um, I was able to write two plays when I was living in New York. And uh, I started my production company when I was living there as well. So that's kind of what, what transitioned me from just purely acting into more of the writing and then producing and um, all that fun behind the scenes kind of stuff. What part of the acting puzzle got you most interested when you've discovered it at an earlier age? And as you just mentioned, what were some of the things that you witnessed or experienced that got you to think bigger about perhaps it's not just on stage, but perhaps from behind the camera or in the seats to direct? That actually relates directly back to being Asian American or Asian Canadian. It was the lack of visibility of roles for characters that are my type or, um, you know, I just, just being able to audition for roles that were, that are specifically an Asian American perspective or that aren't just a stereotypical role. These roles weren't as available around 10 years ago as they are now. And even debatably, so there aren't as many roles, you know, for, uh, for ethnic characters or ethnic actors. Um, so it was a matter of necessity, me writing my own roles for myself and creating opportunities for myself, just because they those roles weren't available. What were some of the conversations you were having with your peers in New York and through acting school? And obviously, as, as you began to create a community of like minded folks on that, because this is about 10 years ago, 
Um, we've obviously finally began to see in the last 24 months, at least on the big screen, of the 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 finally, um, I guess, the arrival or the explosion of people that look like me and you on, on the biggest of stages. What were some of the conversations that were happening in, in, in the trenches, if you will, um, of the people that were working behind the scenes for so long to make sure that those things could actually happen? I think, I mean, I, rem- I remember specifically in New York, always going out to, whenever you go to auditions, you start to see the same people over and over again. So you kind of get an idea of what your type is based on you walk into a room and they're all people that look kind of like you. So you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is my type. Um, and I would be in in a position where I would be constantly going in for roles that were meant for full Asian American or just full Asian people. So sometimes I would get asked to put on a stereotypical accent, which, um, which I, I, I'm terrible at, at doing an accent anyways. So, but from looking from an outside perspective, if, if I saw somebody who looks like me doing an Asian accent, I would probably think that's offensive because I, I don't think like, I mean, if you know that I'm Asian, you, you right. can tell, but like a lot of the times if, if it just looks like some random dude putting on a, a stereotypical fake accent. So it never, it never landed well whenever I did it. So I eventually, I didn't do it very often, but I eventually started turning down those auditions and um, and telling my agent like I can't I can't go in for for this role where you want me to play like an eighty year old character Chinese person you know mm-hmm. it it didn't it didn't make sense but those were the kinds of roles that I would get sent out for but it's different now now there is there is a lot more um, of those roles meant for third or fourth generation immigrants. We're not focusing so much more on that uh, first generation fresh off the boat story. We're now, we're now kind of seeing the perspective of immigrants who have lived here for a while. And I think that's refreshing in what we're seeing in media today. I think it's the evolution, right? Because it, you know, the, the, the big PBS documentary Asian Americans came out earlier this week and it mm-hmm. was badass to learn actual stories of people who lived and died for our cause and, um, some of that we are so blind to because we were born in a post, you know, privileged era. Um, but the sort of the John starring John Cho movement and other things long for days where it just, we get cast as regular people, not even, you know, uh, fresh off the boat is cool, but that's a very, it has, they have to be Asian because of the storyline, right? Um, always be my maybe, not necessarily so, although there are obvious cultural cues to it with food and, you know, parents and stuff like that. Um, I think that is awesome. And I am really excited to see where it really goes for all of us. Um, obviously, we just want to play regular parts meant for regular people, not mm-hmm. Asian man number four or, you know, uh, long lost, whatever the, the the stereotype it may have evolved from play the most disgusting accents you can so that it makes the general audience laugh at us, not with us. Um, how have you seen that evolution from where you sit, having been in the game for the, la- the for the better part of the last 13, 14 years? It has shied away definitely from that. Uh, the joke is in the accent or the joke is in the culture. I don't see those roles at all anymore really and if you do the project usually isn't that great quality so you just (laughs) avoid it in general but yeah i have seen i have seen um distancing from that kind of from from stereotypical roles like that for sure that that is cool um so four years in new york two years in school two years working on your your scripts and, and your acting um what prompted the move out this way to Los Angeles? I was, it was, it was a combination of things. I had been out to LA once before. So I knew that, um, I knew that 
it's it's the center of the industry. It's where all roads lead to LA eventually. So I think I was just kind of uh, trying to fast forward that part of my life. Um, I was kind of over the seasons in New York, if that's even like an excuse <laughs> to go by. It's, it's a good just, excuse, man. Snow it, is it is a good excuse. It is a good <laughs> excuse. And I enjoy the weather out here. So I didn't make a, I did not make a bad decision. But um, my agent was bi-coastal. So he was representing me both in New York and in LA and still is. I'm still with him. And um, it just seemed like good timing to make that move. Okay. Very cool. Uh, the, the last nine years you've been out here in LA, you've done hosting, you've done acting, you've done all sorts of things. Um Share with us some cool stories around that progression and you building more confidence to know that you can have an impact, not just in front of the screen, but to really change the narrative of the industry to make sure that a little Tyler somewhere or a younger version of Jerry somewhere can see ourselves in all facets across the playbill, not just at the top or at the bottom, but just know that we can pursue anything that we want. When when I first moved out, to LA, I, I had just made my first short film, uh, Dreamer in Exile, which is now available on uh, Amazon. Mm. So I had just jumped into the production side of things and my company was still fledgling. But um, as an actor making content for myself, I eventually realized that there was a market for that as well. So I turned my production company more into more than just creating content for myself. I uh, opened it up to doing headshots and um, audition taping and real scenes and helping other actors who are looking to create content for themselves and looking to create roles that are outside their typecast mm -hmm. and um, to, to create opportunities for themselves. I wanted to help with that. So that's how I expanded uh, my production company, Kill the Pick Productions. Um, but, uh, as far as representation every year, I just, um, I would compete in the 72 hour film shootout, which is a part of the Asian American film lab. And that's where I made a lot of my contacts in the uh, Asian American film community. But not only that, it helps me with, um, with, with understanding the Asian American perspective in film. Uh, and I gr growing up in a mixed family, you, you kind of have uh, mixed perspectives. But when, when I met uh, colleagues and fellow filmmakers through the Asian American Film Lab, I could see that there were these uh, Asian filmmakers or mixed race Asian filmmakers and uh, seeing that their perspectives yeah. aligned with mine kind of gave me more um, more confidence in my perspective. And I found that there was a community of, of like-minded filmmakers out there. So I wasn't alone and I wasn't crazy right. for feeling like I had a different perspective. <laughs> they were all here. Right. So I, I think that's that was a big part in me um, uh, embracing my identity and uh, uh, using it in, in, a, in a way to create you know, to create my own work. Tell me a little bit about the conversations you've had with your parents and your family over the last 15 years since, I guess now 13 years since uh, you left home uh, to pursue acting first in New York, then out here. Um, how have they, don't want to use the word accept, but have viewed, what are their perspectives on what, the path that you've chosen? And where were the points where, um, they uh, told you that they were proud of you or that they were really, you know, in, I guess, accepting of you, just saying, hey, this is what you've chosen to do. So I guess landing back at we're proud of you. Yeah, I, I think they've, they've always been very supportive of me. So I've never felt like like uh, they weren't proud, but they're not in the industry. So like, even though they're like, we're proud of what you're doing, I still have this 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 uh this necessity to to put it in a perspective that that they really understand because i can tell them like oh i am doing this work i'm doing this this project over here and they're like they might not 
be able to relate to it because it doesn't have like a network attached to it or a yeah. name attached to it. Yeah. So it's a matter of, of I, they are definitely proud of me, but it's a matter of perspective too, sure. of what relates to, to their idea of success. Regardless, they're proud of me, but, um, <laughs> but I, I do know that, that I need to, that, that they're, that, oh, it's, it's hard to, to explain this, but you're, you're always, you're always wanting to, to do more. And sure, I find that that's, that's where I always find myself in. I'm always wanting to do more to, 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 to honor them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that, that H word, man, it's, it's a, it's a big one in, in our yeah. culture, right? Um, yeah. Especially when they tie it to certain things. Uh, what would be, uh, Tyler, what would be your dad's definition of you being successful in your chosen career? And how does that perspective align to your own definition of you being successful in this career? You know, my, my dad is a hard worker and, um, he sees that a lot in what I do. So I feel like there's a lot of success in, in being motivated and proving that you're motivated and, uh, seeing results. But, um, his perspective of what, what the meaning of life is, is health, wealth, and happiness. So I think as long as you hit those three, those three, you know, uh, boxes, then, um, then you're in a good place. I think those obviously, particularly, uh, given what we're all going through, um, a lot of the frivolous things, I guess now frivolous things, uh, don't matter as much anymore as, as much as we thought. Yeah. Um, how, how much of your, uh, family's, uh, you said, you know, you, you grew up in a mixed house family. Obviously, your dad has influence from Trinidad and Tobago and in the Caribbean. How much of that exposure to a variety of rich cultures and just being okay with celebrating multiple things and the things that you just live with as Tyler's normal have influenced you as a creator in the things that make it onto a script? I think, I mean, there are pros and cons to it, you know, because one coming from Canada and then having like a mixed background, you're always as a Canadian, I'm always trying to be polite and not, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, point out differences, but at the same time as a writer and in an industry where you're telling story, you know, story kind of thrives on those differences and, you know, the awkward moments. So there's, there's always like a push and pull over, over what I need to do to tell a story versus what my upbringing would tell me how, how I should tell it. So it, it, it's been like, it's been a struggle uh, with, with rectifying those two parts of myself. I, 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 there's no right answer to it, right? And there's no finish line to any of it. It's your life, your unique experience and the way that you, you want to tell it. Um, obviously I think creating film or anything on stage is not quite the field of dreams effect of if you create it, they will come. There is obviously marketability and will somebody watch it? And then mm -hmm. based on that guess, will somebody pay for it and invest in it? So it's not as, as um, artistic as we'd like to think it of it, right? Like, Oh, I'm just going to paint for the sake of painting and just let it sit. It's, Obviously, there's a lot of people and, and money and uh, logistics involved. Um, you, you mentioned earlier you really found the community here in Los Angeles a few years ago through the Asian American Film Lab and the 72-hour uh, film shootout. Um, how did you find out about them? How did you get involved? And what was it about what they were doing that got you really peaked? I first started making movies for the competition about 10 years ago when I was living in New York because oh. they're mostly a uh, New York organization they're a nonprofit, and um i just got pulled in from a by a filmmaker friend of mine who had been making movies for them uh for a while and uh he cast me in his project and then i was hooked and ever since you know i did a film each year and for those people who don't know the premise of the competition is that you get a theme 
at the beginning of the 72 hour time period. And then you have to write film and edit a movie under five minutes within this 72 hour period. And then, you know, submit it and you're eligible for prizes and mentorships. And um, it's a great way for emerging filmmakers to meet industry professionals. And uh, it's actually how I um, first got my opportunity to uh, audition for ABC casting was through um, was through the Asian American Film Lab. So uh, yeah, that that just got me involved in the uh, in the film community from there. And I just think that they that they're amazing with all the opportunities that they give to uh, Asian American filmmakers. Of the years that you've participated in the shootouts, what were your, some of your most uh, joyous and painful memories? Because when I think 72 hours resulting in five minutes, that's a big ratio, right? But we all know that's just what what goes into the 72 hours? Do you guys all hibernate before and just commit to not sleeping <laughs> for those 72 hours? Is it just like sponsored by energy drink companies and coffee? What is it like to go through that process? Yeah, a lot of what you said is true. Um, there is a lot of sleep deprivation. I think probably the least amount of sleep I've gotten on one of those competitions is maybe six hours. I wow. think like within the 72 hours, I may have gotten the six hours is my least amount of sleep. More recent years, like the last two years, I've done, I've kind of gotten it down more to a science where I'm able to, uh, to, to effectively manage my time. But, um, I usually end up at least spending at least one night uh, working until like four or five or six a.m. or something like that, and that's usually the last night when I'm editing it all together and uh, uh, exporting it. Um, I definitely you you definitely have to give yourself enough time because you don't want to put all that work into it and then miss your 72 hour window because you're exporting something that would be terrible. <laughs> so yeah, it's always that last, that last crunch where, where I'll find myself pulling an all nighter. So take us through that process. When you said you get the prompt or the theme, do you have a cast assembled? Do you just have people on speed dial depending on what the prompt is? What kind of equipment is readily available to you? What are, what are some of the parameters that make the, the contest unique in and of itself? Yeah, there are some things that you can prepare ahead of time. You can build your team ahead of time. So going into it, I already know uh, what actors I might be using or you know what equipment I have because you, you can assemble your equipment ahead of time. I'm lucky that uh, I have a production company. So I use all the equipment that you know I use for regular work anyway. So um what has made it easier over the past few years is being an auteur, like kind of just taking all the hats and doing the bulk of everything myself. Mm -hmm. um, but in the other years when, when I've had big teams, I think the most effective way to have a successful shootout is to make sure each role is defined, make sure that the writer knows that they're like the sole writer and the director knows that they're directing, directing and um, making sure that nobody's stepping on each other's toes. If the roles are defined and if everybody knows what they're doing and we're organized going into it, then it's a pretty, uh, a pretty um, painless shoot. But um, in other years where it's been a little more difficult is when you don't define those roles and it's just a group of people who are who have the same input on every single uh on every single tiny detail so then that that promote that can get into an issue where there's just a lot of disagreement if if uh if everybody has a say on something so i found I've, i have found it easier if you know there is just a very strong lead role or like all the roles are defined what type of people participate in the day film students? How, how, you know, what, what is the, the youngest or sort of the earliest part of somebody's progression you've seen be very successful at this? And is this something that anybody can just sign up to do? Yeah. Any, anybody can sign up. There just has to be uh, a lead Asian on, uh, uh, on camera and a lead 
creative that is uh, it is also a person of Asian American descent. So not everybody on the team has to be Asian American. Okay. Uh, there can be diversity, but obviously, you know, the one lead role on camera and one lead creative role has to be of Asian American descent. And the lead creative role that could be a writer or a director or um, any other creative role that is taking uh, that is a huge um, factor in the making of this of this movie. So we see we see students. We see um, people who have never made films before uh, trying it out for a first time. For example, you know, an actor who, similar to me, was in a uh, position where they didn't necessarily see roles uh, that were for their type and they wanted to create roles for themselves. So you'll find a lot of actors doing that and... um, uh, but also people who just don't have any experience and are just trying it out for the first time. So I think that, uh, that it's, it's, it's really all over the place. And then we have um, returning filmmakers who, uh, who, who compete each year and who are the diehard fans who have gotten it down to a science like myself <laughs> and uh, use it as a tool to challenge themselves each year and learn something new. Because no matter how much you learn, putting yourself in the 72 hour position, you're going to learn something, something else. So uh, it's definitely a good way to, to, to sharpen your skills or to just learn new skills altogether. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the fact that not everybody, you know, in front of the screen or behind this, the camera um, has to be of Asian American descent. And when you look at the list of people that are involved from the organizational perspective and from the judges who are all connected to um, studios or influential roles that can open doors should they spot talent or be in a position to provide context and perspective and advice throughout the judging process that can really be beneficial to anybody's leading career. I think it is really nice to see that the people behind the movement too is just as diverse as the world that we live in because for as much as we want to advance our people's prosperity and excellence, we can't do it alone. We need the people who've been in these positions, um, who have the ins and outs better sometimes than we do, and for an ally to stand up and say, hey, Tyler deserves a chance, or hey, we've never heard of him, but Jerry, I think would be a good fit for this, and so let's bring him in, because privilege and access is a ugly compounding beast, and if not put in pr- proper perspective, it, it does have a way of, uh, you know, shutting out the minority voice for, for so much longer than that. So I think that is very, very cool. Um, so 2020 has been a fun, fun year um, <laughs> and, and fun, the operative word. Um, when you, when you and I had first started talking about this and you introduced me to the show and the shootout, um, it was, I think in March and the team was very optimistic that we would still have an in-person version of the show or the shootout somehow, where we were just being very, optimistically cautious or cautiously optimistic uh, about the shootout because it is such a big deal. Um, Share with us some of the dialogue that was happening behind the scenes as we were learning more about the way that we should um, be out and about in public and and working on non-essential things and what ultimately led to you guys turning this into a virtual competition. Yeah, uh, we have been in discussion. Uh, it's always a changing kind of landscape. And even now we're just adapting with the daily, you know, updates coming from the government and the guidelines. Um, but we have moved the, uh, the shootout to mostly virtual at this point. All of the events leading up to the shootout have been virtual. Uh, normally we do networking parties and we do, um, we do uh, workshops where uh, where people can attend in person, but uh, so far we've turned those all to virtual workshops and um, Q and A's over uh, a virtual conference. So we're we're um, keeping up with our events uh, on a virtual landscape, and then we're going to uh, to to encourage all the filmmakers to, um, to social distance and to uh, make their movies within the limitations that, you know, the guidelines are uh, presenting them. And I think it's going to create a very interesting year for films because no other year have we been in a situation like this where people have to isolate 
to to make movies and yeah. each city is different each state's going to have different rules so everybody will be doing it uh to a different degree but i think it'll create a unique uh year of films and um hopefully it'll create a kind of camaraderie among all these filmmakers that that uh will bring them closer together in the long run uh what i always felt was the advantage of doing this film competition was from the people that i met so by um now that everything's virtual we have to find a way to to still connect them and by using social media and by uh by creating a lot of buzz online i feel that we've connected people that way and um what we have planned for the uh for the for the announcements and the awards ceremony is all going to be a way to bring people together online so i think that it'll um even though we're not doing it in person we are uh we still have some great you know uh great prizes to motivate people to uh to want to do it and i think that uh through you know through social media we'll be able to to get everybody to watch each other's films and to be super supportive of each other in a way that the live events in the past haven't been able to do yeah, I, I think you know, the, the whole world has gone from live to virtual for for all the right reasons, right? And I think um, I've spoken at conferences that whose organizers were super bummed out, just as as you were initially about, oh man, it's just a little bit unfortunate. But it was a student conference that was based in New York City, and they just went virtual, so we had people all of a sudden calling in from all over the world, and more people than more people on the Zoom call than likely would have shown up to a hall. For an entire wow. Saturday to listen, right? So I, I I do think that there is optimism in events like yours, in particular your event too, where um, there's so many different components and factors that are coming into play. One is just people want to see stuff, right? People want to see creation. People want to share and support each other. Um, your contest is the first weekend of June. Hope I don't think I don't know Wisconsin and Florida doing wonky things. Um, for for the big cities, for for New York City and LA, and and where um, I, I guess the, the major entertainment spots are, uh, things should probably stay just the same as it is today, with a lot of precaution. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that will also mean that people are still going to be a little bit excited to look for things to commune together, right? Like um, you know, anything that comes out on TV now is getting wild, massive ratings. So for 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 all the the challenging things that we're going through, whether it's the Asian American documentary on PBS or whether it's the last uh, the Michael Jordan documentaries, right? Like people are just we have attention right now. We have the the benefit of people uh, having a little bit more time. Um, what is a successful film shootout for you and the organization, given that we are in a new reality today? I think. It's successful as long as we have uh, filmmakers who are exercising their creativity and who are deserving of the mentorships and the opportunities that that they win. And um, I just want to offer these these emerging filmmakers and creatives. Uh, these networking opportunities and if they um let's say an actor is cast on uh through one of the casting directors that they meet you know that is that is a huge success for us just seeing seeing uh these relationships pay off for the uh for the shootout filmmakers is is our huge successes how do you think all this is going to impact acting going forward if people are having to do virtual auditions now because we have to and the casting directors don't see that much of a difference between what you see in person and the logistics that go into that versus hey just make sure that you have this surrounding this background and we'll just get 90 percent of the answers that we would have in person over video does that change the way that we do acting forever and the 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 stereotypical i need to have a flexible schedule as a service professional so that I can go to an audition at any given time. How, how do you think this changes the landscape for people in your profession? It's interesting you bring that up because we have been shifting to the self-tape model uh, in recent years anyway, 
So as actors, we see more self tapes, mm-hmm. um, which is when you film yourself at home and send that to the casting director. Uh, we've seen more of that in the last few years anyway. Mm-hmm. So the fact that now there's been a, uh, there's kind of actually been, been a big boom of self tapes mm-hmm. for actors right now. So a lot of people are still um, auditioning, but just doing it at home. So I feel like it will make a huge change in the industry. Um, when things open up, I'm sure, you know, it'll go back to, uh, to in-person auditions. But now it just shows people how easy uh, the industry can kind of keep moving ahead in a digital format. So I, I feel like there will be more self-tapes going forward but it's it's already been a huge trend in in the acting world for sure and on the topic of sort of lowering the barrier to entry and making it more widely available for people to jump into the industry as you mentioned um what what is your optimism or your perspective on more people who look like me and you to finally see themselves or see filmmaking or acting as a viable career option and that it is something that is worth pursuing because the opportunities continue to be more ample than they used to be yeah i mean there are always more opportunities growing for uh for diversity um and i think you know i i encourage to to see that diversity on screen but i also encourage to see it behind the scenes because you're not going to get authentic representations on camera if you don't have a diverse writer or a diverse producer uh, helming this vision, you know, you don't want it to be a paint by numbers scenario where it's, where it's just putting diversity for the sake of diversity, at which case, you know, it will feel (laughs) inauthentic. Um, so I, I, onto an earlier point that we were talking about seeing, um, diverse characters who don't have like necessarily a diverse, perspective they're just kind of they could be it could be cast by anybody Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time we need those perspectives that are uniquely diverse and not just stereotypically diverse where you see somebody you see an asian person drinking boba tea and it's like that's what asians do (laughs) it it should be like a like a very very like personal very like subtle connection to your identity and i feel like if you see more of that more diversity behind the scenes then you'll see more of that that um more of that diversity on screen that's not on the nose sure i I agree And, and i think the one if we even if we do all of this right with the right nuance with the right tone with the right people with the right heart none of it matters if there's nobody that looks like us in the audience right because Who's going to see it and be inspired by it and to move it? You know, Crazy Rich Asians, everything else, it only worked because we filled the seats. It only worked because we told the box office and Variety that, hey, guys, you got to start paying attention to us because we have money. We have atten- we have the, the, the power when we vote with our dollars and our feet. And, and so, you know, what you're doing at the Film Lab, what you're doing through all of your projects, I think, is critically important because... People need to continue to see more of it, to normalize it, and for our kids to seek things out if they don't see it. Obviously, we hope to raise them in a world where they see enough of us in just everyday entertainment. But as you mentioned, it is more important for them to be able to see stories that that they can relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, why does my three-year-old call me Appa at home and I pick him up at school one day and he goes, Daddy? And I'm like, whoa, you never call me daddy before, dude. But even at his age, he knows my code switch, right? And knowing that at school, daddy is the word that everybody understands. But mm. as soon as we get in the car, it's back to Appa. Yeah. And I asked him about it. And he's like, I, I don't know. So it's almost like subconscious. It's crazy. But those yeah. are the nuances that need to be portrayed, right? Like, you know, I, I think it's cool that, you know, Asians are starting to play superheroes and maybe one day we'll play a James Bond character of some sort, right? But then that sort of takes away where we're playing a character. You know, we're not leaning into the character or the, the culture um, that, that we can represent. Um, yeah, this was such a fun conversation. I think acting 
and seeing people on screen. Um, I think growing up, uh, we always, there's things that we know we miss. And then there's things that we don't even know that we miss because Mm -hmm. we're not taught to look for it. Um, or we just, our, our parents tell us things like, oh, you know, like that's not something that we do. You know, that's entertainment. We're in America. So of course it makes sense that we don't see any Asian actors. Um, yeah. And, you know, badass people like Sandra Oh and uh, Grace and Daniel and Russell and all those guys. They just say, we don't give a shit. But they've been at it for 20 years too, right? Like, so it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a, a lot of work. And, um, and, and maybe the next uh, great director, actor, somebody, showrunner, um, is going to participate in this year's context contest. Um, and, and so thank you for doing what you do. You've now moved on to the, uh, the team behind the movement um, after participating in it for, for a number of years. Um, and, and so I, I want to say thank you for, for the work that you've done. Um, I think there are, particularly in entertainment, other things, sometimes it's easy to uh, ignore or just pretend that the cultural thing doesn't exist. You know, this is the, I got promoted because I'm smart, not because of anything that I look like, or, you know, anything I achieved is a meritocracy. And, uh, we know that not to be true. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, we have biases and things that, um, play, play in. So, um, I want to finish out the show, Tyler, with the, the Dear Asian American letter, which is the way that we finish all of our shows. And, um, we started this show, I started this show as a present to my daughter um, on her first birthday, but really is a present to me and you and to everybody else who grew up not having enough role models, not having enough conversations that surround us to let us believe that we can do whatever the hell we want and for us to dream and uh, never really ask for permission to be who we are. Um, But through the storytelling of all of our collective experiences to also never let anybody ever feel alone in what they're going through. Um, so I'll start the letter and if you could help us finish out the show by completing the letter, dear Asian Americans. It's important to be who you are in the world that we live in and to be authentic to yourself and to not let anybody bully you into being what they think you should be. You are yourself and you are perfect. That is beautiful. Never, ever, ever let anybody else, even your own parents. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they're your toughest critic. And, you know, we, we talked about honor earlier. We unfortunately tie a lot of our self-worth, our pride, our happiness, our, our being uh, to what they think about us. And yeah. it's okay to separate the gratitude that we have towards them. Uh, and the respect that we have for them, for all that they've done for us, but then to also at the exact same time, ignore everything that they say, as far as what they think we should do with our lives and pursue the things that we know that will make us happy and to talk about the things that we know are important. And if we are ever so lucky enough to have an adult discussion with them, to actually explain to them one day why it is that, why it is uh, that you feel the way that you do. Um, because they grew up in a different time. And look at your dad's story. It's crazy. I would mm-hmm. have never guessed Trinidad and Tobago, right? Like that's wild. So we don't know where they come from. They mean well. They they work their asses off for us. Um, but the world evolved so quickly in, in a world that was hard, impossible to predict. So um, Tyler, thanks again. Um, share with us where we can learn more about the film shoot. Um, when's it going down? How do people participate? And, and, and for those of us... Um, who aren't going to be participating because we're not gifted in that way. But if we can help in our own way to share the message out to other people, um, what, what are some things that we can actively do to get the word out about creating more projects for us and by us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, our website is www.film-lab.org. And um, that'll connect you with the 72-hour shootout. It'll connect you with all our other uh, events that go on around uh, the year, but uh, we're also active on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at As Am Film Lab, and uh, on Facebook as well, As Am Film Lab. Um, our YouTube is also we have 16 years worth of 72-hour shootout films 
on our YouTube. So if you're if you're ever bored and you want to see uh, original Asian American content, mm-hmm. um, that's definitely a place to check out on YouTube. It's a seventy-two hour film shootout, mm-hmm. and uh, there's hours of content, and you can go and support us there. Uh, we're always accepting donations because we're a not profit. And um, yeah, uh, I, I would say the best way to support us is to watch watch the content of these emerging Asian American filmmakers and you know support them spiritually. And uh, if you can support them financially, you know, go buy a movie ticket. Yeah, I think it's far more important and more meaningful uh, to go to somebody's show at an off-Broadway way in the dark corner theater when it is them struggling than for them, for you, to buy one ticket when they're, you know, at, I don't know, when they become a household name, right? I think we we tend to want to support people after they've achieved success and our mm-hmm. incremental ticket purchase or in contribution means far less. Um, and, and for so many of us who have and continue to ex- uh, experience the challenges of building something to get the nudge of support, to get the how can I help you or whatever it may be to get that earlier on the incremental impact of that is far greater. Um, so we all have friends trying to make music, trying to make content, try to create something, um, be there for them. Now, even if you don't completely understand what they're doing, even though you may not fully agree with what they're doing, if you can, if you have the ability to, because, you don't know what they're actually going to do after they're done working on that, right? I think um, we celebrate the people who achieved the mountaintops, the apex of traditional success. But if you hear their stories of how they got started and you go, whoa, why would any, you know, a quick side story. I got to interview Vin Diesel in high school for my high school newspaper. Oh, only, wow. on, only because in 1998, his publicist had to call high school newspapers to get him any sort of traction in media. Wow. Ain't that crazy? The fact that his PR lady called high school by high school and said, do you have a student newspaper? Do you want to cover this? This was when his first big movie, Pitch Black, was coming out and nobody mm. had known him. And so I have a picture of him. I still remember I was studying like a 16, stuttering every other word like a 16 year old because he's like three times my size. And so, you know, people are like, oh, my God, that's so cool. You met him then. I was like, but I was the only person on the high school newspaper staff that wanted to go. Nobody wanted to do that for struggling actors. That really? Were, nobody, but that's true. We're all like that. Yeah. Right? Hey, do you want to go to an open mic to support my friend? No. Do you want to go to a comedy <laughs> club to support whatever? No. You know, and, and so let's change that. Right. We have a little bit more time. And we're not asking you to drive to the, the you know, the comedy club or to buy a ticket to go sit in a. Uh, you know, a janky theater, like do it from home, watch it on your phone. Nobody's asking you to leave. Um, but after you're done watching, share it, comment on it, like it. We all know how algorithms work. Um, look, if we don't support each other's work, not to say that nobody else is going to, but it has to start with us. Then we become unignorable. And that's when things become really fun. So Tyler, thanks for all that you do. Continue creating. Um, can't wait to see you create more awesome things that we can see on big screens and small state, big screens and small stages and big stages everywhere. Um, and really, thanks for the work that you're doing with the Film Lab and the 72-hour shootout because it is a labor of love. It is um, something that meant so much to you that now it is your turn to give time and energy and pay forward so that other people have the same opportunity. So um, thanks, man. Thank you. And I have to thank the team behind me at the uh, Asian American Film Lab and all the judges and sponsors who are really making this an amazing year. So there's there's a whole village behind this. And uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, this is fun. Um, goes down in three weeks. Uh, first weekend of June. Sign up. And uh, I don't know. Maybe if it's possible, um, we'll, we'll talk offline, but maybe we'll uh, schedule some sort of a viewing party or something for when the, the final projects are publicly available to watch. And uh, you can come back and, and give us your thoughts on what's good and who won. And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that and inspire some folks, man. I would love that. Awesome. Thank you, Tyler. Be Thank well. You.
stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Tyler. Um, Please do check out the film lab and please do check out the information about the 72 hour uh, film shootout. I think it's going to be fun if you are in the filmmaking space, if you do have friends within that space to spend a little bit of time next weekend to uh, do something fun, do something creative and to make sure that we are creating works that properly represent and positively reflect our beautiful and amazing community uh, that it's it's so diverse and so rich in history and that we want to celebrate it. Um, If this story resonated with you and if this conversation was fun for you to listen to, uh, consider sharing it with a friend or two. Uh, Send them the link or ask them to subscribe or screenshot it if you're listening to this on your mobile and share it on Instagram. Tag us at Dear Asian Americans and follow us and like us on Facebook as well. Um, If you ever want to talk about the show, if you ever want to talk about anything within our community or want to suggest or nominate a guest to come on the show, that guest can be yourself. Uh, Shoot me a DM at the Asian Americans. uh, Shoot me a note. I'd be happy to talk with you. Um, We're doing some exciting things over here. Um, One of the things that we're doing, we we launched a Facebook group called Asian Podcast Network, and we're going to be sharing a lot more of Asian podcasts globally through the Facebook group, on Instagram, and through another podcast launching in a couple weeks. Uh, We have a research team dedicated to producing a research report called the State of Asian American Storytelling in 2020. Get excited about that. If you do want to fill out the survey for that, please do check out our Facebook page at the Asian Americans, and a link will be there as well. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot. Uh, This is our 52nd episode. We are approaching 5,000 total downloads. It's been an amazing, fun, emotional journey for me, and I've had fun every every moment of the way. So thank you for making my dreams come true. Thank you for listening to this and sharing this out. From the bottom of my heart, much thanks. Be safe out there, be healthy, and be happy. Till next time, this has been your host, Jerry Wan.